Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. You're, the Cubs outscored the Pirates 29-12 to over the course of the weekend, but only won one game home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. And yes, I have some sort of cold. No, it is not COVID. I have checked. Uh, but y'all are just going to have to bear with me a little bit today. My voice is kind of out of it. But I am joined by Danny Rocket, who can carry... Both of us, well, if my voice goes out, how's it going, Danny? If there's one thing I know how to do, it's be a designated talker. <laughs> it's 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 going fine. Uh, not a great weekend for the Cubs. Interesting weekend, but I can't wait to get it, into it with you, Sarah. Yeah, it was a fun weekend and a historic weekend and also just kind of a weird weekend. Like, it's weird to watch your team have such a historic and really cool offensive onslaught and only win one of four games. But let's just jump into it. We're going to take these games in order. So we're not going to start with a super fun 21 nothing route at the top, but we're getting there. So hang with us. It'll be fun. Uh, the first game, Danny, we were both at this game. It was nice weather at Wrigley. Mark Leiter was better than he was at Coors. He pitched four innings with only two earned runs. Not bad. I mean, what else can you expect from what is he like our seventh starter? Like, Technically, when you, if you consider Mills and Miley are on the DL, he left with the lead, but Ethan Roberts just couldn't hold it. And honestly, I moved uh, behind home plate during this game because I had multiple tickets to Thursday's game. So I had the ticket that Danny sent me for free. I had a ticket in the 220s that had a really good view of home plate. And I wanted to watch Ethan Roberts pitch, and he, he just didn't have it. Uh, Ross probably left him in a bit too long, and that was the other two runs, and then that was it. The Cubs, a theme of this podcast is going to be that despite this Cubs offense being very good, and they are quite good, they could not do anything against the back end of the Pirates' bullpen, and, and that was unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, who knew that the Pirates were had a great bullpen? <laughs> I didn't really know that until this series. But, I mean, I don't think Crow is still allowed a run, and he was in there for 2.1 innings in this game. Saw him later, and they saw all these guys all series long. Bednar shut us down. I don't think he's allowed a run yet. And... I I was sure that when it got later in the game, I mean, Cubs only had four hits in this game, so there was really not much doing. The offense was a little anemic in this one, but I was pretty sure that we could get over the 4-3 hump, especially after scoring three runs in the first th two innings. So then just shut down. I didn't, you know, I was surprised. I was surprised too. I really um, had been optimistic about where I thought this game was going. And honestly, I mean, props to the Pirates. They put together a shutdown back end of their bullpen. Like Stratton and Bednar and Crow are legit and hard to get hits off of. And, and the Cubs certainly struggled to get hits off of them. Uh, even though they did get to Bryce Wilson early, they couldn't do anything later in the game. That other bummer about this game, Seiya Suzuki's on-base streak to start his career came to an end at 12 games. But honestly, like I love that he got on base Somehow, some way, be it a walk, multiple walks, hits, whatever, all the way through 12 games. And he's still red hot, as we're going to discuss towards the end of the podcast. His WRC Plus is sitting at like 226 or 227. He's still like 120% better than the league average hitter at creating runs. So Seiya Suzuki still rocks. He just doesn't have that nifty on-base streak anymore. I, I think he's got the top OPS in the entire um, entire major leagues right now. Probably. I haven't looked that one up, but I'll trust you on it. Yeah, I, I just looked it up, and he does. Uh, and right, uh, unfortunately, in front of Nolan Arenado, who we don't really like. 
we'll see a bunch of Nolan Arenado uh, in the coming days, I'm sure. But first up, yeah, always, always those Cardinals coming to town. Um, the second game was moved to seven o'clock because of the rain. So this was the rare Friday evening start in Wrigleyville. And, and to be clear, that was a great call. The weather was awful in Chicago all afternoon. My flight out to Denver for work was delayed by like four and a half hours because of the weather. But I, I want to talk about something here that is unique. If you live in the Wrigleyville area, you know about it. If you've ever tried to take a Lyft or an Uber to a Cubs game, you know about it. The right share rules in and around the ballpark need to be updated. And, and this is just bonkers. I was trying to get a rideshare to O'Hare at one o'clock when the game was not happening because it had been postponed due to rain. And because I live within eight blocks of the ballpark, I had to walk down the street with my luggage in a pouring rainstorm to meet my driver at a designated location. And look, if the game has been canceled or postponed due to weather, you should not do that to the literally tens of thousands of people who live in the Wrigley rideshare zone. That is ridiculous. Also, if people have luggage and stuff, can't you just drop them off at their house? They're clearly not trying to crowd up the side streets at Wrigley. I've been to the Wrigleyville community meetings. I know which neighbors are complaining about this and why those rules exist. And frankly, this is one of the dumbest rules I've ever seen in execution. Well, and everything that Wrigley neighbors complain about, I'm always not that sympathetic to because you knew there was a really old ballpark in the neighborhood that 81 games a year was going to have 40,000 or more fans coming down to see a ball game. And so I'm just like, if you don't, I mean, that's why I moved a mile away from Wrigley. That's why you live close. You want to live by Wrigley field. There's a lot of us that feel this way that are big cup fans. I know a few people that live right next door to Wrigley field. They love it so much, but they, you know, I don't understand this. Not everybody likes it. Well, guess what? I don't want to be like, oh, well, you have to move, but you have at least have to understand that 81 games a year, there is a ballpark that you live next to and you chose that. And the, no, you know, I don't, you don't have to move, but you have to accept it. Totally. And and to be clear, I, I'm not complaining about there being drop off and pickup points for Wrigley. Like, obviously, it could get super crowded and be ridiculous if everybody was trying to get to the corner of Waveland, Sheffield, Clark, Addison, right? Like, I totally get that. But it seems like, one, those rules should be updated to reflect the reality on the ground. Like, if the game is not happening because of weather, it seems like asking people to walk outside in the terrible weather to the pickup point that is no longer useful is not helpful. Also, I think that that zone around the ballpark probably needs to be contracted just a little bit. Danny, you know where I live. I mean, I I don't want to give the entire podcast my address. but like you you are by no means close. I'm not close to the ballpark in terms of like peak traffic. I, you know, it's probably like a seven, eight block walk. I like doing that walk. I do it frequently. This is not the place that is like getting bombarded by Wrigley Field traffic. So the idea that that is being impacted by those rideshare rules is kind of ridiculous. And, and I would call on the city and I will be calling my alderman to fix it. Um, the Cubs scored their runs on a Michael Hermosillo double. Michael Hermosillo looked really good. For most of the this game, most of this series, honestly, I'd like to see more of Michael Hermosillo. I don't know what we have to do to get that kid some playing time, but that was it for the runs. DFA Hayward. Well, that's it's, it. it's not going to happen. I know. Uh, well, there's I, not going to DFA Hayward. You asked what do we need to do, and I just I have the answer. <laughs> well, then Michael Hermosillo is going to be the one to get DFA'd, which is unfortunate because it does not look like Jason Hayward is going to get DFA'd 
this season. Um, and, you know, then once again, the Cubs had to face down the back end of the Pirates bullpen and could do nothing. It was honestly unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it was knotted at two early in the game. And then, you know, a couple more home runs given up by Smiley and just and the same. I The Cubs had seven hits in this one. Uh, this uh, same thing. I really thought that there's no way they're going to go down two nights in a row and not, and you know, not beat the pirates by four at end up on the right side of this. You're at home. Uh, and the crowds, you know, I'll say this much. It's been a little crazy, a little unhinged in Wrigley field recently. (laughs) And the weather's been weird. And then it got really good. And then it got, got cold again, but a lot of cup snakes, a lot of fights going on at like, the vibe's been off in a way. So it doesn't. And then when I think about it in those terms, I'm like, well, no wonder the Cubs didn't come back. I'm not going to hundred percent blame cup snakes and fights, but it is distracting to the players out there. If, and if, if you're more interested in holding giant stacks of garbage than you are in a ball game, I think that affects the vibe of the place, especially when you're in a tight game, like a four, three or a four, two or yesterday's game, which was like a repeat of game one. Um, so You know, but there's a lot of fun stuff happening. Like I didn't, there's a lot I didn't understand in this game. Okay. So you, I get the lefty righty thing, but are you going to pinch it? You pinch it Ortega for wisdom. Yeah, that was wild. I weird. And then Rivas doesn't get a chance, even though he's back because of Frazier's appendicitis, which get well soon Frazier. But, um, you know, you maybe did that in the wrong order. Alfonso Rivas has done nothing but hit since he's been up. He's like actually has the top OPS on the Cubs right now uh, with a very small sample size because they don't let him play. (laughs) And I just let's talk about the Rivas situation for one second. Rivas is going to be a big part of this great game we get to talk about next. But Rivas is a better defender at first base than Frank Schwindel. That too. Yeah. I and I love Frank Schwindel. Frank Schwindel is hitting great right now. I don't I'm not saying bench him, but you have a designated hitter so that you can keep some of these guys in the lineup. And I feel like you would get fewer errors with Revis at first and you can have Schwindel DH and that probably puts the team in a much better position. Like I just don't understand why Revis and Hermosillo cannot buy consistent playing time and all either of them have done when they gotten their opportunity is hit and contribute. Yeah. And yeah, I don't get it. I, 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 is it like a last chance for these other guys to see what they get, give them the everyday opportunity because let's face it. I mean, Frank Schwindel's new too, you know, so is the only, like the veteran on the team is freaking Patrick wisdom right now, you know, well, I mean, Contreras and stuff, but like, you know what I mean? Like you look around the infield and outfield, you're like new, like half the things, half the outfield's new. Um, Jason Hayward's playing a new position, shouldn't even be out there. So, and then the bench is all new. You got VR out there. He's new. Horner's new. You know, there's Frank the Tank's new. Rivas is new. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's it's all over the place. A lot of, a lot of new stuff going on. And, like, you know, there's, there's really bad defense going on from VR. I mean, he's making up for it with the hitting, I guess. But, whew, it's rough out there. And I maybe, he, maybe if you got somebody like Rivas or – I don't know, another great hitter right now, Anthony Rizzo, uh, picking him over there at first base. It's going a little better for you. Yeah, I don't know what some of these guys have to do for playing time. I will say that I can't really be mad at this game. The Pirates got all of their runs off of Drew Smiley, and that was just like a number five starter being a number five starter. If your number five starter only gives up four runs, 
you should expect to win that game most of the time. And frankly, like you got to hit and score runs to be order in order to win that game. Um, Keegan Thompson came in to piggyback with Drew Smiley here. And can we just talk about how great Keegan Thompson has been for a second? You know, I play a lot of fantasy baseball teams and the hot ticket in fantasy baseball right now is this kid Garrett Whitlock in Boston, who's a long reliever doing like the three, four innings and he only strikes guys out, never gives up a run type of thing. He can give you a spot start and he can also close. Keegan Thompson looks like a poor man's Garrett Whitlock to me. And I love him. He's amazing. Yeah, he might not be doing it with the same amount of strikeouts, and uh, there's been a few outings where it's been really efficient pitch-to-contact stuff, but he's not walking, guys, and I don't think he's still giving up a run this year, so, I mean, you'll take that every day. Oh, here's a guy that can go four innings, and the question really is, at what point do you say he's a starter and you just actually start him, even though he's providing a very valuable service once every few days? I mean, because he can go more. He can go every three days, maybe, if he's doing stuff like this. Well, and the benefit of having him be able to go every three days doing stuff like this is, look, even when Mills and Wade Miley are back, like Adbert Alzali comes back and he's like hopefully healthy, none of those guys are going to be stretched out to go long, right? So having this weapon in the pen that you know you can go to for three innings of basically shut down ball is great. For all of those guys, um, I just, I agree with you. I think Keegan Thompson is probably a future starter for the Cubs. Maybe not this year. Maybe it's next year. But I like Keegan Thompson a lot. Yeah, and I like his attitude because he's strutting around the mound. <laughs> it looks like he's uh, his confidence is growing with every outing. So that's nice to see for a young guy. And, um, you know, he's going to face some adversity as all pitchers and all players do at some point. And that will be interesting to see what he does with that. So uh, he's new. He's new, too. He is new. Um, Let's talk about this third game, which, okay, if you did not know, that 21 spot that the Cubs put on the Pirates while allowing zero runs in return is unique. It is the largest Cubs shutout victory at Wrigley Field in ever. It is like one of the coolest things to ever happen in the ballpark at Wrigley. And if you were lucky enough to be one of the sold out crowd uh, that saw that game, I am jealous of you because I was in Denver and I was not there. It was a gorgeous day at Wrigley, like 75, 78 degrees. I believe that was the 1984 Jersey giveaway, Danny. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. So you got a Jersey, you got a great baseball game and you got perfect weather. I mean, I think the only people who could complain about this game are Pirates fans. Uh, I saw our friend Bleacher Jeff post on Twitter that the wind was just howling out at Wrigley Field. And my immediate thought was, oh, God, I'm terrified because I have Kyle Hendricks starting for my team in Tout Wars. And I got the best of both worlds. I got the Cubs scoring 21 runs and I got Kyle Hendricks being amazing. Let's talk about Hendricks before we talk about the offense, because frankly, seven innings pitched, only two hits, zero runs. Look, he only struck out two guys, but I don't really care because he didn't walk anybody. He was vintage Hendricks. I think at one point I looked and through the first two innings, Kyle Hendricks had thrown 16 pitches and then he had to wait for like 40 minutes to pitch again because the Cubs just unloaded in the second. And my biggest concern was that Hendo was going to hurt himself. Yeah, it was vintage Kyle. And I do have a bit of a theory about like why, I mean, Kyle's great. And, but, and this was obviously just an amazing outing on his part, but also when the wind is blowing out, I think a lot of players overswing and come out of their shoes. And I think the pirates were just super anxious 
and Kyle took advantage of them because you're seeing those. Well, you're seeing the the wind howl out, and you're fe- feeling like if you get it up into the air, that it's just going to go with any fly ball. And you might be right about that, <clears throat> but Kyle will take advantage of that mistake because you got you still got to let things happen in baseball. Yeah, I think you're right. And frankly, um, I mean, Hendricks was just masterful. I honestly have no complaints about any of this game. The Cubs scored nine runs in the second inning. Uh, They were relentless on Saturday. They were relentless all weekend, actually. We're going to talk about the Cubs and their hitting stats in just a second. But that nine-run second uh, was definitely helped by a couple of errors. The normally sure-handed Kevin Newman had not the best day defending admittedly a couple of those were just really rough dances like I don't know that anybody gets those it was it was almost like Wrigley Field just wanted to chip in and help the onslaught to the literal park was helping the Cubs at times I loved this approach from the Cubs they had 23 hits only five for extra bases they only got the one home run from Alfonso Rivas who had himself a game three for six with five RBIs can we just talk about how this Cubs offense is a it's just a it's just a stew of relentless contact over and over. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I feel like this approach, particularly with home runs being down across the league, is the right way to go. And I love that they put this team together the way they have. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely watchable and it keeps you in the game. The fact that we only lost those games by a couple runs, I mean, it doesn't give me any happiness or solace or anything, but it always made me think that we could make it happen and the games were winnable. It wasn't, none none of those games were out of hand on our end, you know? And so that, that makes me feel good. And yeah, it's, you got guys on base, you got dudes running around, they're running the bases, they're stealing bases. I'd rather watch that than just some dude walk slowly or, or walk slowly down the first or trot around the base is slowly it's boring. So um, this, this is way more. I, I was not at this game either. I'm very sad that I didn't make this one, but, um, but yeah, you, it was historic. But another thing I found out Sarah, is that it was also payback because the Cubs greatest sh- blowout shutout loss was also against the pirates back in 1975 on September 16th, where we lost 22 to nothing and only had three hits. So this, it took a long time to get the payback done, but what is that? Nearly, nearly uh, 50 years, but yeah. we, we got it done. I was going to say that game's older than I am, but that's awesome. And <laughs> and it was done. It, it did get done. Uh, a couple more notes from this game. Say Suzuki went three for four. He was pulled for Hermosillo, honestly, just to get some rest. I think not anything wrong there. Hermosillo went one for two. Literally every Cubs hitter who came into this game got a hit which was outstanding and you just love to see it. Um, And then I just want to also, if you follow me on Twitter, you already saw this, but some fun with small sample size after Sunday's game or after Saturday's game, the Cubs were leading the league in three offensive categories that I think are worth talking about. They have the highest batting average in MLB at 273. The MLB average right now is 231. That is the lowest MLB batting average in the history of the sport through April. So that's terrible and awful. It's worse than last season when there were no hitters every day and everybody was freaking out. Um, The Cubs also lead the league in on-base percentage at 355. The MLB on-base percentage average is 307. And they lead in WOBA, which is a fancy on-base percentage, which like gives you more credit for a double or a triple or home run than it does for just getting on base. 
the Cubs team Woba after Saturday was 348. The MLB Woba was 305. But part of the reason I bring this up is because it was not just Saturday's game that did that. Admittedly, Saturday's game helped them out a lot. It's still really early in the season. So they added like 20 points to their batting average in a single game. But after Sunday's loss, they're still batting 273. They had 10 hits on Sunday. They're still leading the league in OBP at 354. And they're still leading the league in Woba at 347. So, you know, if you think about the money ball premise, which is that you try to zig while everybody else is zagging and you try to find value in places while everybody else is chasing something else, I really do believe that Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins have found a sweet spot here, focusing on contact and focusing on small ball while everybody else is trying to hit home runs with a dead end baseball. Yeah. And, and it's more watchable. It's more entertaining to see, and there's more to cheer about and I I'm all for it. Now, will it work? Well, so far we have a losing record. So, <laughs> you know, and, and I wouldn't necessarily blame the pitching, although you can blame some of the starting pitching for a couple of these games. That's for sure. Um, but they've kept us in the game. If you had a really great offense, I mean, if you, if the 20, two run cub 21 run cubs showed up a little bit more off. I mean, they were two run cubs all the rest of the games. So I don't know what I'm looking at yet. Like what, who are the real cubs? Who are they going to score tons of runs? Are they do this all summer? Are they going to be hitting the contact or there's going to be balls flying around Wrigley field and getting stuck in the Ivy and all the rest of it. Um, I don't know. That would be great. Do the cubs have the pitching to, keep the other team I don't know I guess they have to score two runs yeah, or right. one run or you know we're back there so I don't I'm not sure if it's enough if we had a lefty if maybe if Alfonso Rivas starts going in there a little bit more and hitting balls over the wall with men on base and you could score three at a time instead of just like nickel and diamond everybody to death See, I, I want Rivas to play more too but I honestly don't even think you need to score your runs with home runs or Whatever. I do think, though, that you're absolutely right. The Cubs need to consistently be able to score more than four runs because it looks like this pitching staff is going to give up right around four or five runs a game. And so the offense needs to be able to combat that four or five runs with four or five runs of their own in order to stay in these games. And frankly, I like the back end of the Cubs bullpen when they get the ball to them and they get a shot. I think that Michael Gibbons has been great. I think that David Robertson has been great. I think that Rowan Wick looks pretty good in that seventh inning role. But the Cubs have to have a lead in the sixth inning to get it to that back end of the bullpen. Yeah, and they've ha- and they have sco- they've scored more runs than anybody in the major leagues. But if you strip out the one game, <laughs> you know, and you take away, I don't know, twenty of their runs, okay, and you say they scored one run that game, then you're more of an average run scoring team at that totally. point. You yeah. you know, so it, somewhere in the in the middle of the pack. So. So I don't know how many other teams have had big blowouts. I think there's probably been a couple more, the hundreds of games that have been played, but uh, still, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, we scored 21 runs. We lost three or four to the pirates. So it's just like, what am I looking at? It's yeah. Like, no, I'm with bad. you. We're number one. No, we're not. Cause it's the only thing that matters is wins. Well, I will say that those batting average and on-base percentage numbers would have been higher than the league averages even going into Saturday's game. They wouldn't have been leading the entire league, but they they would have been higher than them. So I think that that approach is still viable. But you're right. It's got to translate into scoring runs and winning. And if it doesn't do that, then 
the Cubs need to figure out a way to keep the other team from scoring runs so that they can win. Uh, Speaking of which, the fourth game was almost like a copy pasta of the first two games. I mean, the Cubs offensive onslaught continued. They got some hits and runs in the early part of the game. They had 10 runs in this game. And Justin Steele still looks a bit off location-wise. Our friends over at Bleacher Nation speculated that his release point is a bit off. That looks correct to me. I have not looked at the data for that, but just the eye test sort of looks right there. Um, If that's true, that's actually not the end of the world. That's something a pitching coach can work with him on to fix mechanically. He looked better than his game against the Rays. He wasn't missing his spots by quite so much, but it he just didn't look like he did through the first two starts of the year. Here's hoping Justin Steele turns it around because honestly, I think Justin Steele needs to be a guy for this team to have any sort of run going over 500. Yeah, well, it would be nice if he was. I mean, you We have to remember that he's still young, and so there's, I think, a lot on his shoulders right now. He's technically our number two starter in front of Marcus Stroman, and he's basically a rookie. So I know he was out there last year. I don't know if it might have been a September call in the weird 2020 year or two or whatever that was, but um, he's, he's brand new, and he only goes the three innings. So he's... He's is he really a starter if that's all they're giving him the one time through the two time through? I mean, he gave up the three runs, but it's the walks that worry you because and he's not striking anybody out. But I, I mean, I don't know what we have with Steele yet. I don't understand. I mean, I really have no idea why Keegan Thompson isn't the guy that is starting and Steele's the guy that's coming out of the pen. Like, I don't know the difference between those two besides one is a righty and one's a lefty, and, <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, but in their function on the team and what, you know, why, cause Mike Montgomery was a lefty and he kind of did that long man starter sometime thing too, you know? And so I think of him in that term. So why he's just slotted in as number two and like, we were just penciling you in is just the reason is because of a lack of depth in the starting rotation. Cause the Cubs needed to sign. Well, they needed, Miley to be healthy and he wasn't but then you go out and get somebody else and they didn't I don't even know who's out there at this point probably nobody but uh I mean do they bring up Killian at some point to fill in some of this Alzali's injury probably slots steel forward so I'm just saying like he there's a lot there's a lot that made steel number two starter and as much as I want him to succeed at that maybe he's kind of slotted in wrong or we're expecting too much out of him well the Alzali injury and the Miley injury definitely changed the look of this rotation a lot I think yeah I think that if you have both of those guys slotted in here Justin Steele probably becomes your number five Drew Smiley maybe your number five and Steele's in one of those piggyback roles like Thompson this this whole rotation looks a lot different when you pull those guys back in Mills is interesting to me because Man, every time I've looked at Alec Mills's numbers, he does better as a starter than he does coming out of the pen, but all of his stuff and what he can do really looks like he should come out of the pen. And so it's weird because for whatever reason, he's more effective when he toes the rubber first. And also you kind of don't want him doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless you're going to build it this way and you basically have, because if you say Miley won't be stretched out, he's usually can go deeper into games and give you some innings, but uh, not when you're injured. But if you take the first two guys and you say, okay, you got Hendo and Stroman and you slot it kind of that way. And I know what he's doing, righty lefty, and let's just give him different looks and whatnot. But uh, if you, you have your top guys that are actually the most talented on the team, like by paper being uh, Stroman and Hendo, then uh, 
you can have like the back end be this piggyback situation. Like we saw that succeed with Milwaukee and it was a cheap way to do it. You don't have five starting pitchers. You have two and then you have like eight guys that are kind of bullpen kind of starters. How many, how many pitchers do you think will get starts this year? Especially if you're waiting for your Alzelais to come back. Like if you don't necessarily think Mills is going to give you seven, eight inning starts on the regular. So just don't ask him to, and it might go better. Give him the, give him the three innings and then put steel in and then give Keegan Thompson a start. And then I don't know bullpen the rest of the game with a couple two inning guys, or who's the new guy that they just got to forget who they traded for. Uh, Sean Newcomb, who was yeah. a starter for the Atlanta Braves and then became kind of a bullpen arm. And they just traded Jesse Chavez for him straight up. I like the Newcomb trade a lot because Newcomb is a younger guy who has better stuff than Chavez. And I think that the Cubs are probably looking to turn him into something similar to that Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele role. I mean, I think that the Cubs have recognized that they don't have a lot of guys who are going to give you seven innings. They probably the only guys that they're going to look for for seven plus innings this year are Kyle Hendricks, Marcus Stroman, maybe Wade Miley when he gets healthy. So they need a lot of guys who can give you that sort of like one time through the order, long relief bullpen perspective. And I think that they're gathering guys appropriately for that. Newcomb looked good. I mean, admittedly he was pitching in a route. So like, I don't know, but but Newcomb with like a 16 run lead looked really great. (laughs) (laughs) High pressure situation. Um, No. And that's, and that would be fine. Like if that's what they're saying, they don't have to tell me what they're doing, but you know, we'll figure it out after we see who they got, but it's, it's not a terrible way to do things these days. I mean, the Rays have gotten to the playoffs a bunch. It hasn't, turned into playoff success for them, which is, right. I think, more what we're interested in, uh, especially here in Chicago, where which I just read, it, it still has one of the highest uh, prices for a day at the ballpark of any team in the major league. So we should expect a little bit more than a bunch of, like, you know, scrap heap three inning guys to, to fill out our rotation, especially when it comes to playoff time. You want some real – the problem with that situation is it's all got to go well. You can't have right. if you, with a great starter, you can pretty much pencil him in and say, "Well, there's a I got a nine out of ten chance that this is going to go real well, and he's going to give me seven innings, and then may, maybe more, and get to the bullpen." You know, your Kershaw or your Scherzer or somebody, if it's somebody that great, Kyle, sometimes, but with the sometimes. three inning guys. With the th- well, in the past, I know what it, you mean. It's three, just funny. You're like Kershaw, but, Scherzer, Kyle. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Well, you know, we see uh, where he could go late in, into the games and he'd be very efficient. And uh, or, but then if you're doing three inning guys, well, then you need like three or four people to go out there and all be good. And that's just like it's just more variables because <laughs> just like that one person might not have it out of those four. Right. And then the game's lost as opposed to you got one guy doing the job of two guys. And you just, I don't know. You, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Like it's just another variable. It's like they, they all have to have it for it to go well. The more pitchers that you throw in to a game in order to get those seven innings, the more chances there are. One of those guys is off that day Yeah, totally. and things mess up. I, I'm with you 100%. We are actually at a break. We need to take a quick break for our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. We have a lot of news from around the league, including why Yankees fans might be the worst of all time. And Kyle Schwarber has just had it with Angel Hernandez. And we're going to talk about all of it, plus an upcoming 
three game set where the Cubs are heading to Atlanta to face the defending World Series champion Braves. But first, a quick break for our sponsors. All right, Danny, let's chat about some of this news from around the league. I want to start in New York where, okay, so as far as I can tell, late in a game between the Yankees and the Guardians, Stephen Kwan ran headfirst into the outfield wall. And while he was getting checked for concussion, a concussion issue, that wall is not padded. It's kind of like a chain link fence and he was all kind of scratched up and stuff. Some Yankees fans were being terrible human beings and yelling that they were glad that he got hurt which caused Miles Straw and Oscar Mercado to go defend their dude. Miles Straw like scaled this wall Superman style and looked like he was going to go into the stands and have his own malice in the palace moment, which was like really kind of, I had a whoa moment right there. He did not do that. But then the Yankees walked it off and the other side of the bleachers. So, so I have to put this in perspective. Like this would be like if the first altercation happened in left field and then the second thing happens in right field at Wrigley the right field fans, when the Yankees walk it off, start throwing beer cans and water bottles that have liquid in them and all their trash on the field at the Guardians players. And it's like 30 different fans throwing things. If you watch the John Boy breakdown on this, he like shows you all the people who are throwing stuff here. It was so terrible. It ruined Glaber Torres's walk-off moment. And I just have to say, the, the Yankees players came out to the outfield to calm the fans down and tell them to stop sucking. And the guy at the, at the front of all of it was our own Anthony Rizzo. First guy to the outfield, making sure Oscar Mercado is okay, checking on the Guardians players because Anthony Rizzo is a good dude. Danny, what is wrong with Yankees fans? You spent a lot of time in the bleachers. I, can, I have never seen a scene like this. Well, I've spent a lot of time at Yankee Stadium, too, because I used to live pretty close to Yankee Stadium for a fair amount of time, well over a decade. And I could say this. Yankees fans are pretty much all around the ballpark are just proud to be angry jerks. And it it's just part of the culture. I've gone there in Cubs gear. I was at the first game at Yankee Stadium, which was a exhibition game with the Cubs uh, right before the season, the actual season started. And that wasn't so bad because it was an exhibition game and actually it was full of Cubs fans, as it usually is when the Cubs come to New York and play the Yankees or the Mets. Um, but, you know, I've been booed. Just for my gear, I've been uh, like this whole crowd of people were harassing me one time. I got video of it somewhere like Yankees fans boo. They're just like in my face. There was all these Irish guys like I was like, you're not even from the U.S. and you're booing the you're like eh, they're all wearing Yankees gear. I mean, they just love it. Like they're the hooliganism and in, in center field. I don't know if they still do this, but they stop beer sales there's some no no alcohol they banned alcohol from parts of the bleachers and then some of them start stop selling it after the third inning wow. and the reason they had to do that is because of the of this behavior and i said people were unhinged before i really felt was feeling that at wrigley and around the neighborhood it was the first nice day and people coming out of their shells and like you know, the pandemic and all of it and everything that's gone on. And I think people are just feel a little crazy right now. Uh, I've seen it in people's driving. And then I think this is just part of it. So when I see all these Yankee fans freaking out and this is the first time this happens, why they don't sell beer in the fourth. Uh, but it's like, they're going there to do that. Just like people are going to the Wrigley field bleachers 
to make cup snakes, not to watch a game. You know, they're just going there to be violent and get in fights. There were fights that night. We were at the ball game on Thursday and Wrigley people tumbling down. Somebody's going to die. They're going to break their neck and be paralyzed for life for one stupid drunken moment they had, you know, and that's what's going to happen here. Now, the freaking scaling the wall, (laughs) trying to go fight the bleachers. Not smart. (laughs) Like, I don't think. Yeah, that's the pretty much the dumbest thing you do. But there's like a lot of freaking emotions running hot. And I mean, and for the Yankees players to have to go out there and it's just it's a shame. It's it's disgusting. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they police that without actual more police in Yankee Stadium, which it already is. I mean, it already is a total police state at that ballpark. Just be in New York. I mean, I'm not a big fan of cops being everywhere, but I'm kind of with you on that. Like, it seems like there just need to be more security presence in the bleachers around the league at the moment. I I agree with you. I saw the fight in the bleachers at Wrigley from the grandstand. I could see it happening. Um, But really, people, y'all just need to settle down a little bit. Um, One guy who does not need to settle down, though, and I am with him on his eruption last night, is Kyle Schwarber. If you were watching Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, Angel Hernandez had just a game for the ages. It was one of the worst called games of the year. He blew, and I'm going to pull up the um scorecard here for some numbers. He missed 80. He he only had 88% of his calls correct. He missed 16 uh, strike calls over the course of the game. Six of those were on strikeouts. Like six people ended there at bat on missed strikes out of the yeah. zone. Three of those that I saw ended innings, including Kyle Schwarber earlier in the game. And so when Schwarber comes up in the ninth, he's facing Josh Hader, one of the toughest lefty on lefty matchups in the sport. And he got rung up on a ball that should have sent him to first base and instead sent him to the dugout for strike three. Schwarber's just absolutely lost it on Angel Hernandez. And I, our friend infield fly girl said this was just like really a perfect ejection, one of the all time great ejections. And I agree with her. Like he, he was brief. He was animated. He threw all his gear outside of the direction of the umpire. And people have already said it to the like meme of she's a witch with Anderson's sister's a princess thing, which I'm going to not do that justice today. Cause, but you should look it up because it's great. I definitely already retweeted it. Danny, what can be done about Angel Hernandez and why is Kyle Schwarber the perfect person to just finally blow his top here. Well, I mean, we've seen Kyle blow his top in certain situations like this, especially in strike three calls, because uh, you know he's got a great eye and he doesn't really chase outside the the zone too much. Uh, but Angel Hernandez, I mean, all you have to say is one word: umpire. Well, it's two words: umpires union. And that's the only reason this man is still an umpire because he's been terrible for years and they can't get rid of him because of the stupid union. So that's how it's going to be. And we're just going to be stuck with Angel Hernandez until he realizes, and he will never realize, he's just going to keep this job and he'll finally retire. We'll all rejoice. And him and criminally blind CB Buckner, uh, they can, you know, we just, we just got to wait it out. <laughs> See, I mean, that's, I, I don't know what to say. They're not going to, unless they quit, there's nothing we can do. Except for complain and yell and be mad, but it's a it's a tragedy. It is. It is awful. Um, one of the te- another um, scorecards uh, tweet from over the weekend that our friend Crawley flagged on my timeline. 
noted that as of Saturday, the Cubs were one of five teams that still hadn't had a game with at least 90 95% accuracy. It was exactly 95% accuracy on Sunday. I mean, 16 games into the season, the Cubs have had one game with 95% accuracy, according to um, scorecards. That is ridiculous. I understand that umpiring is hard, but there has to be a way to get an accurate and consistent K-zone call. And I just have to flag one more thing. Todd Zola tweeted a theory that the reason Angel Hernandez is calling Sunday night baseball games is to get fans on board with the electric strike zone. And frankly, I think that's correct. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, the only reason is he's in the other umpires union. I mean, that is it. Like maybe that's why they're letting him up a, a Sunday night baseball game so that everybody can see. <laughs> and, you know, cause once you've lost a rod, I don't even know, is he still calling those games? I think there's like an alternate broadcast on ESPN two, where you can listen to a rod and Michael K. If you are a masochist who wants to listen to a rod <laughs> and Michael K. Call a baseball game. I will never listen to that broadcast. Uh, yeah. The new team is actually great. I think that Carl Ravitch and David Cohn, are outstanding. I like the new Sunday night baseball team a lot. I was a little upset yesterday. There was a moment in the eighth or ninth inning where Schwarbs uh, tracked down a ball and left and was throwing it home. And Ravage said that Schwarber doesn't have a good arm. And that's just actually incorrect. That's, like yeah. uh, Schwarber led the league in assist one year because people kept testing his arm. He literally came up as a catcher. He doesn't take good routes to balls and he's not a great outfielder, but he certainly has an outstanding arm. So let's get that correct. But Anyway, that's a that's a minor quibble with the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball booth. It's like, like it's like they used to call El Mora fast, because, right? Yes, because he, he tagged up once in the World Series. I'm like, like that's oh not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, more news from around the league before we move on to previewing this Brave series. The Reds finally snapped an 11 game losing streak when they beat the Cardinals four to one. That 11 game skid coincided with Phil Castellini asking fans where they thought they were going to go and threatening to move the team, which was really a plus plus work from the Castellini family over there. Fans are wearing paper bags over their heads to the great American ballpark, telling uh, the team owners to sell the team. There's full on protest going on among Cincinnati Reds fans. And I don't know if this was verified, but I saw a video of a fan that was sitting in like the diamond seats, you know, those seats behind home plate that cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars who yeah. was asked to remove the bag over his head or <laughs> told he would be removed from the game. And look, there is an answer to fans being upset at you for being a terrible owner who sold all their players in a winnable di division, but it is not to be mad at the fans because you said the quiet part out loud. Yeah. It, well, it, they traded everybody. And on top of it, they also got pretty injured too, the Reds. And so that is why they have only won three games so far uh, this year. And they've had a, not the easiest of schedules, but yeah, the paper bags is about something completely different there. I heard yesterday, I actually was sat in the bleachers with my friend, Billy DeVore, who's a Reds podcaster for a show called the new nasty boys that he does with this guy, Lee DeVore. And they're both comedians, very funny people. Um, he was on tour. He stopped by. He goes, hey, let's go to Wrigley. So we went down to Wrigley. And he told me pretty much the whole story. They're, people of other podcasts have taken out, I guess they have more money than this podcast because they're <laughs> taking out full billboards. Sell the team, but Phil. Nice. And and no, and no, there's the fans are protesting. They're not able to, to uh, uh, get any uh, crowd because a lot of the crowd's staying away. Uh, from the team now, especially since Phil's comments that were so tone deaf. And um, I mean, it's just things aren't it, things aren't good in Cincinnati right now. And uh, but because of that, I've been told that those Diamond Club seats that you were just mentioning, where you get all the inclusive things and sit right behind home plate, you can afford them. 
Wow. <laughs> Anybody can go. Like the only time they're going to sell that section out is when the Cubs are in town. I think. I was going to say, Danny, let's go on a few, let's go on a road trip. Um, no, the, yeah. def, those podcasts that are taking out billboards definitely have more money than this podcast. If you want to help Danny and I make some money, please subscribe so you never listen episode. Tell your listen episode. Tell your friends. Tell your tell your friends. Yeah. Well, we can go there. Let's see. I, I can't go this third week of May. Maybe I could. Uh, third week of May, we could go to Cincinnati and see this. And, uh, then, uh, second week end in August, that's part of the field of dreams game. You can go for pretty much free to Cincinnati. Maybe though the fans will be back on board and we close the season with them. So maybe the last game of the year, we'll sit out there. We'll get ourselves some diamond seats and put paper bags over our head. Um, a couple more news and (laughs) notes from around the league. Miguel Cabrera got his 3000th hit. And can I just say, if Miguel Cabrera played anywhere other than Detroit, we would revere him as the hero in the sport that he truly is. He's one of like seven players with 500 home runs and 3000 hits. And beyond that, there are just not going to be another guy hitting his 3000th hit for a really long time. It will likely be at least a decade. Uh, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper have a shot to do it, but it's by no means a lock. Both of them are still shy of their 1500 hit and are right around 29, 30 years old. Uh, Juan Soto might do it. Juan Soto is 23. Uh, Wander Franco might have a shot. You have to come up so young in order to stay in the league long enough to get 3000 hits. And frankly, Mickey's just a great guy. Like he literally told the kids, don't skip, don't skip school to come watch me. And then got his 3000 pit on a Saturday because he's such a great guy. Yeah. And what a career. I don't know how much he's got left in him. He's not as old as Pujols and he, he's having a nice year so far. He's uh, 47 at bats. He's batting 319 on the year. So uh, no home runs yet, but uh, it's good for a 125 OPS plus. So, I mean, you're going to take that. He's going to be a role player. He's going to teach the young guys. He spent most of his career with Detroit. And I agree that that like kind of buried him a little bit, except for maybe a few years uh, where Detroit tried, but uh, you know, from that's rare too to right. see a guy from age well, fifteen years with Detroit. That's really cool. He's been there since two thousand eight. Yeah, it's it's Miguel Cabrera is a great guy. He is a legendary baseball player. When you look at some of the company that he's keeping, it's outstanding. Also, um, my greatest thing on the internet yesterday was a retweet, and I'm going to forget who put it together originally, but you should go check it out. It is every 3,000th hit that has ever been captured on video. And if you have never seen Roberto Clemente's 3,000th hit and ultimately his last hit, uh, you should just go check out that video because it it gave me chills. It was well worth watching yesterday. The Cubs are headed to Atlanta for a three-game set. The Braves are the defending World Series champion, but they are 7-10. and They're kind of going through their own little World Series hangover here. The Cubs are 7-9. and Admittedly, the Braves have had a harder schedule than the Cubs have had so far. So my gut instinct is that the Braves are probably the better team here. The Cubs are going to roll out Marcus Stroman, Mark Leiter Jr. again, and Drew Smiley to face off with Max Freed, Charlie Morton, and Kyle Wright. And that just looks like a mismatch off the top to me. But Morton struggled a little bit, right, is – uh, a relatively new pitcher. Danny, what do you see in these matchups? Yeah, I mean, we seem a little bit overmatched, at least as far as the starters go. I mean, uh, but as you said, they kind of stumbled out of the gate. The offense hasn't really been there. It's been there for the Cubs. Uh, this is our second road trip, and this is where it gets hard because, unfortunately, we have a losing record and we haven't been playing the best teams in the world. 
but uh, now we are going to be playing the best teams in the world, including, including last year's World Series champion. And hopefully we're catching them at hangover time, just like you said. I I, I agree. It's it's maybe we they don't get hot. I mean, last year they didn't get hot till halfway through the year, too. So um, the one I did look up some uh, stats on some of these guys, and I saw that Smiley has given up the long ball quite a bit to the Braves, even though he's uh, to some of the Braves players, even though he is uh, was on their team last year before he was on their team, they were hitting, they were hitting him real good. So, and, uh, and the Cubs numbers against uh, Charlie Morton aren't great. He shut us down uh, our Cubs numerous times. We don't have a lot to show for it. So it's going to be, I don't, know, I don't I, to be honest, like, and I hate to say it, I don't have a lot of faith in this road trip. Uh, our friend Crawley, you brought up earlier, said, you know, you're, you're looking at the Braves and then you're looking at the Brewers. Uh, Brewers and then you got the White Sox and then the Dodgers. So if you look at that next stretch coming up, it's it's going to be tough. And how many wins are you going to get out of that if you are just got two wins from the Rays and Pirates out of six games. It's, you know, you never know. It's baseball, but I think our best hope is that the Braves are still hug over for the World Series. Yeah, <laughs> and, they don't, series. <laughs> and they don't have Ronald Acuna Jr. back yet. He is on a rehab assignment at AAA Gwinnett, but he will not be back with the team until early May. So you are facing off with a Braves team that does not have their best hitter. I mean, I will say this for Charlie Morton. He has struggled a little bit so far this season. He's one and two with a 6.32 ERA, still striking out a lot of guys, but it's possible that the Cubs could take advantage of that, maybe get to Morton a little bit. Freed, on the other hand, has been great. I mean, he has a one and two record, which doesn't really look that um, promising, but his ERA is only 3.5. He's been striking out a lot of guys. He has more strikeouts than Charlie Morton right now. He has 17. And then Kyle Wright has been outstanding. He's two and oh with a 1.06 ERA and 26 strikeouts. So I really think that this Cubs team, it's going to be interesting to see what they do against the Braves. Let's switch over to the offenses for a minute. You know, these are two teams that can hit and will hit. I run these numbers before every series. I'm still running full season numbers right now because both of these teams only have like 16, 17 games under their belt. Once we start getting into the land where they have more than 20 games, I'll look at 15 game sample sizes. But um, the Braves, all of the following Braves have a WRC plus over 120 for the season with at least 20 plate appearances right now. Matt Olson, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, Marcelo Zuna, and Travis Darno. And do not forget that the Braves have a Cubs killer waiting in the wings. Our old pal Orlando Arcia is hanging out with the Braves and he has done damage against the Cubs for years. So even though his WRC plus is at 112, I had to include him on this list. Do not mistake this Braves team for a team that is going to just be a bunch of easy outs they are not no they're the freaking world series champions yes so it's uh you know it's it's gonna be rough this is one i this is one stadium that i have not been to that i would really love to check out because is it not the newest i think it is the newest actually yeah the Braves yeah. have had like three different stadiums in my lifetime which frankly i think is appalling stupid that's yeah. ridiculous um but yes i do believe truest park is the newest park yeah. Yeah. They're going to be a tough team. If if we can get a, a, a win out of these three, I will be happy. And if I was going to guess which one it is going to be, I'm going to guess that it's going to be Stroman start, start. 
I think he's going to put it together. Yeah, I hope he does because Stroman has kind of struggled in the early going. Truist is also kind of weird. It can play like a real hitters friendly park depending on the weather out there. So keep your eye on the weather in these Braves games. Uh, As for Cubs who are still hot, obviously that Saturday game helped a lot of them, but we have a lot of Cubs who are still just riding a really hot start to the season. Seiya Suzuki, as I mentioned earlier, is still rolling out there with the WRC plus well over 220. Uh, Ian Happ is still channeling MVP Happ. Keep it up, Ian. We need you to be MVP Happ this season for the Cubs to have a chance. Wilson Contreras has been great so far this season. Nico Horner really heating up uh, during this homestand. He had a few multi-hit games and playing some outstanding defense at shortstop. I honestly don't want to see anybody else play shortstop right now other than Nico Horner. I think that the glove is, it totally plays. I understand David Ross giving him some rest so that he doesn't aggravate those hamstring injuries he's had in the past, but keep Nico in there at defense. Patrick Wisdom also heating up since that series at Coors and Jonathan VR has a WRC plus over 120 as well. So it cut, these are not names that you would say are equivocal, equivocal across the two teams, but the results so far this season have been. Yeah. Well, they're hitting the ball. They're putting it in play. It's dropping in. Uh, they just, they're scoring lots of runs, especially one day, but at the, it's just got to all happen in the right order because <laughs> you don't have the big, you don't have the, the big uh, Brizzo to, to knock it out of the park. You only have a few guys and even, even dudes that like who can knock it out of the park, like Wilson Contreras and stuff. And he, I even feel like he's changed his approach, maybe not changed his approach, but uh, been more, he seems unless there's runners on base, which he tries to hit a, a 13 run Homer. Uh, it, he's smacking the ball around and his spray chart looks pretty good too. He's going with balls and, and as opposed to, uh, I feel like he feels all the pressure to be the slugger on this team and he doesn't really have to be, we don't need it. If there's just, all he needed was a single yesterday and he didn't do it. You know, he swang out of his shoes for no reason. So that's, uh, if they can, if they can nickel and, nickel and dime these Braves starters and keep being this like, kind of like death by a thousand cuts offense and could bring that to Atlanta, keep that maybe the warm weather down there. It is warmer there. That'll help. So I want to see it because uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Wilson Contreras has been pretty good so far this season. He's only batting 255, but the on-base percentage is 356. He will take his walks and he's walking at more than a 10% clip right now. The thing about Wilson that I have noticed, and I, I recognize that the at bat you're talking about goes against this, but his strikeout weight rate is way down this season. Last year, he struck out 28.6% of the time. For his career, he has struck out 24.5% of the time. But this year, it's at 22% of the time. And I do feel like he has sacrificed a little bit of his raw power in order to get on base more. And that's part of why you see him with an on-base percentage well over 350. I, you know, I like the approach from all of the Cubs right now. I do wish he would have been able to make some contact against David Bednar, but those 97, 98 mile per hour fastballs that Bednar was throwing him were, th- those were pretty nasty. And I, you know, yeah. Hat tip beat. to Bednar, hat tip to Bednar. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, he got beat. So, but also, it just, I, I feel like in some ways, like you're just one bat in the middle of the lineup there. And I'm, and I know that it's silly to be like, it's Alfonso Rivas, but I really, th- I would like to see it at least tried. You throw him in the, like the four or five area. And let that just play, you, you know, I maybe even a platoon situation with Frank, the tank, you know, I'm fine with that, but uh, the defense, the bat, 
the leftiness, the all of it. Yeah, I like the idea of Rivas and uh, Frank the Tank platooning and one of them DHing and one of them playing in, at first. Uh, if the Cubs decide to give Alfonso Rivas more playing time like Danny and I desperately want, you will hear about it here on Cup of Cubby Blue on the next episode when we look back at the Brave series and look ahead to a three-game set against the Brewers. Danny, in the meantime, where can people find you and your baseball takes? Well, because we said that, I'll be uh, watching Frank or uh, Alfonso Rivas strike out the next 10 at-bats in a row uh, from the Sunranto show and at Sunranto on Twitter. Awesome. So you can check out Danny on at Sunranto. You can check out me and all of my baseball takes at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find all of the information for this podcast, plus links to all of the things that we are talking about here at the at Cup of Cubby Blue Twitter page. And we are posting every episode there as well. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We are coming at you series by series with all your Cubs news, updates, and banter. And we'll be back next time with look a look back at how the Cubs did against the defending World Series champion Braves. Till then, bye.